This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thing about Facebook, so I'm not going to talk about it. Um, but a girl, and I'm not going to read it tonight because I'll, I'll give it some time because I know everyone's like, eh, talking about Facebook again, eh, making me vomit. By the way, I thought maybe I overdid it last week by going, anyone who has text messages, you're sick if you can't get rid of them, right? So some people thought that was a little going extreme. So one lady called me up and said, text messaging is good. I said, why? She says, then men won't hear women talking. They'll be texting, so men won't hear them. <laughs> I hear it. It's not such a bad idea. Okay, there's good in everything. There's logic in everything. By the way, so, you know, I'm always, you know, I question myself, even though you all think I'm so sure of myself. It's just a facade. I'm not really that sure of myself. Um, so I question myself, you know, should have I talked about texting? Should I not have talked about texting? And should have I said this? And should have I said that? You know, when you speak in public, you, you do, you know, unless you're a big Balgaiva, like, you know, whatever I say is, you know, the word. So you think about, you know, so I was thinking maybe I talked too much about it. But and, and I should have said that really it's for kids who are like 18 and younger. Texting is no good because it, it ends up, you know, the boy-girl situation. But if you're 25 and you're texting, it's not so bad. I don't know. I, I had all kinds of feelings during the week about it. Meanwhile, today... They just took it off. I had it, I had it before, but I, I can't read it to you. So there was a texting championship, and a girl won today. <laughs> 70,000 texts a month? Something like 70,000 texts a month. Now, she said, she writes in the article, the winner, that texting is very good. Why? Because ne- if you text and you keep practicing, then um, you can win next year the $50,000. So... <laughs> You can text for a living. I don't know. Whatever. Dr. So, Phil the, what? Dr. Phil had a program on texting and he agreed on Dr. Texting. Phil agrees with me. Then maybe I have to check, change my whole outlook if you agree with me. Dr. Phil. What's Dr. Phil? Okay. What? It affects your brain. Okay. I said I'm not talking about it. Anyway, there's a girl. She's amazing. I'm not going to read it tonight. I just want to see. She wrote me a... This is, this is not that. But she wrote me... Um, a poem on on face about Facebook, and it was absolutely amazing. And Amir Hashem, I hope to make copies. And because I'm not good at reading poetry, you're good at reading poetry, but I'm not so good at reading poetry. So Amir um, Hashem, we're going to make copies of it and give it out next week. She, amazing, very interesting. Okay, let's talk about this week's parsha, which is parsha, which is parsha Shlach, which talks about the Meraglim. Okay. So, the question is like this. Got a bunch of swarm. Hope they don't slide off. Everything okay? Oh, sorry. Okay. So, the following is like this. We, we know, anyone who knows anything about the Maraglim, Moshe Rabbeinu asked Hashem permission to send Maraglim, spies, intelligence officers, into Eretz Yisrael to find out what's going on in Eretz Yisrael. Hashem said, Shlach Lecha. For me, you don't have to send anybody. I'm telling you that Eretz Yisrael, it's Eretz Zavaz Chalavuzvash. If you want to send for yourself, you can send for yourself. So the Lashon is Shlach Lecha. Send for you, but not for me. And we know that Moshe Rabbeinu picked, they picked 12 Meraglim. Two of them were very famous, Yehoshua bin Nun, where Moshe gave him a Yud and called him Yehoshua bin Nun so that he would have the koyach, the strength to go to Israel and see Yashris, see straight and not make the mistake everyone else made. And Kolev ben Yefuneh, who did not get 
a special letter from Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore, and that's what, what I want to speak about tonight, is actually a very important subject, which is Amuna. Kalev did not have this extra letter, so he went to Hebron, he went to the Mars HaMachpelah, straight, he davened by the Avos HaVoseinu, and it says that he had a Ruach, a Ruach that went with him, that protected him. What was this Ruach? The Ruach was the Ruach of the Avos HaVoseinu. So what we're going to come to at the end of this shir tonight is to understand that there's a very big connection between Tzvila and Emunah. That's what what we're driving. But the question is like this. What was the mistake that Moshe Rabbeinu made? What was the mistake that he made? He he went ahead and he sent these Miraglim. What did he think they were going to do? In other words, he was Moshe Rabbeinu, who's the leader. What was the basis of his mistake? He made a huge mistake here. If he wouldn't have sent the Miraglim, the Miraglim wouldn't have gone into Eretz Yisrael, and we would have gone into Eretz Yisrael without Miraglim, we wouldn't have had to suffer those 40 years where everybody died in the Midbar. So, for some reason, Moshe Rabbeinu had a misread here. He read it wrong. He thought it would work out great, and it didn't work out great. And the question is, why? So, let's take a look a little bit inside tonight, a little bit inside, and see what happened. So Moshe Rabbeinu sent him on the mission, Uri Isa Mahi, go see the land, what's going on. Check out the people, are they strong? Are they weak? Are they many? Are they few? See if the land is good or bad. See if, if, the, if the cities are built strong or weak. See if the land, thank you. I know was I coughing too much? No, I can hear. She's the Ornava mommy. We have we have the Rosh Hashiva, the Mashkiach. Okay, all right. Very very perceptive. Thank you. So, so the question is, they came back and they reported what they saw. If you look at what happened, they came back. And they reported what they saw. So what did they do wrong? So I want to tell you what they did wrong. Something that a lot of us do wrong. They came back and said the following. And Kalev quieted down the nation. Right? We can go and we can capture this, this land. Okay. What, so first question is, why didn't Yehoshua defend what they saw. Yoshua had the Yud. Yoshua was Moshe Rabbeinu's Talmud. So why did Yoshua get up and say that we can capture the land, there's no problem, nothing to worry about. Why did Kalev get up? And the answer is that in the week, the Pasha before this, Eldon and Meda, the two Nevi'im, were talking and they said that Moshe Rabbeinu was not going to go into Israel. Everyone's going to go into, Moshe's not going to go into Israel. So if Yoshua would have gotten up and Yoshua would have said, ah, don't listen to anybody. Eretz Yisrael is fantastic. And we can capture it. Everybody would have said, sure you're saying that. You're saying that because you want to go into Israel. Because the minute we walk into Israel, Moshe Rabbeinu is going to die and you're going to become the leader. So you're a liar. You're not telling us the truth. The reason you're telling us this is because you want to be the leader. So Yeshua knew he was wasting his time. He's not going to get up and say anything. He was what we call no Gabadava. He had to gain by getting the Jews to go into Israel. So he didn't say nothing. Kalev was the one that got up and said that there's, there's nothing to worry about. Now let's look at the report that they come back with. And this is what they said. The land that we walked through 
It's a land that eats its people. Why do they figure that the land eats its people? Because when they came into Eretz Yisrael, there were many, many, many funerals. People were dying left and right. So they thought, I don't know, this, this land has terrible diseases. Meanwhile, Hashem did that so that when they came into Eretz Yisrael, everybody would be busy burying their dead. They wouldn't see the spies and they wouldn't be in danger. So Hashem did it for them. And this is a very important point. They translated it. Nobody asked them to do any translation. Moshe Rabbeinu gave them a job. Go spy out the land and bring back the intelligence. A lot of people, a little people. Big walls around their cities, no walls around their cities. Nobody asked you to come back and say, Oh baby, big people... So big, we have no chance. Nobody asked you for your opinion. Many times in Shaduchim, many times, and I as a Rebbe who get asked many times about girls, have to be very careful never to say the words, in my opinion. Because when somebody asks you information about someone else, they're asking you intelligence. Give me information. Not at the end of the whole information, but in my opinion, this is no shidduch. In my opinion, this will never work. Nobody asked you for your opinion. They asked you, do you know this girl? Is she 5'10"? Is she 5'8"? Is this the kind of boy she's looking for? Do you know her? But not, and this is very much spoken about in, in, the, in the halachas of Lashon Hara. Nobody asked you your opinion. When you start giving your opinion, you end up stuck in the midbar for 40 years. You end up in a very bad place. Moshe Rabbeinu never asked them for their opinion. And he thought, he thought, that if the Nisim, now we, you don't understand who Nisim, Nisim are like, there's no Gadol in our generation that comes to the toes of the Nisim. The biggest Gadol, whatever, whoever you want to call the biggest Gadol in your world, right, doesn't come to the toes of these people. So Moshe Rabbeinu's mistake was, number one, they're not going to come back and give an opinion. They're just going to come back and give information. But even if they give their opinion, their opinion is going to be from tzaddikim. And Hashem said it. Why would they come back and say bad? So I'm going to show you how the from Yetzirah, we call him, the religious Yetzirah, how, how he is more destructive than the non-from Yetzirah. So let me tell you what happened and why they were totally twisted. When they came into Eretz Yisrael, they saw for the first time, right, in Eretz Yisrael, everybody was working. They were burying their dead, they were building houses, they were building walls, they were planting grapes, they were planting wheat, they were harvesting, they were working in the fields. These Nisim got together and said, hold on, since we left Mitzrayim, we have been in Kolel. We have been surrounded by clouds, learning Torah all day. We don't have to plant. We don't have to harvest. We don't even have to wash our clothing. You walked into the cloud. You walked out. Your clothing was pressed, clean, washed, starched. You went to one side of the cloud with extra starch. The other side of the cloud was a little less starch, right? You had the whites and the colors. You know, it was beautiful. You just had to know where to go into the cloud, right? You had to do nothing. When they were in the midway, they had to do nothing. 
They got mud, they woke up in the morning, it said, as, as a bigger tzaddik you were, that's how close to your door it was. You didn't have to go into the field. You opened your door, breakfast, lunch, and supper was there. Amazing. You could sit and learn a whole day. There's nothing else to do. Now they come into Eretz Yisrael, and they're saying, Oy vey, oy vey, my children, instead of sitting and learning all day, they're going to be planting and harvesting and building. Terrible, bitl Torah. So they got together and they said, we're going to come back, and in the name of God, we're going to report bad. And we're going to say, you can't get into Eretz Yisrael, we can't make it, and we're going to be stuck in the midbar, and we're going to eat mun for the rest of our lives. You have to understand, mun was on a high level. You didn't go to the bathroom. It was soul food. You didn't, there was no soy list. There was no bad, you know, in food. We learn in the Zaya that the reason that, the, that a person has to go to the bathroom is because food was affected when, when, when we ate from the Eitz Hadas. So all the food in the whole world was affected because until we ate from the Eitz Hadas, there was only tithe. Man was only tithe. It was only tithe. When we ate from the Eitz Hadas, we brought Ra. What is Ra? Ra belongs to the other side. So when a person eats food, there's Ra and there's Tov in every food that we eat. And therefore, our body has to separate the Tov and the Ra. And it gets rid of the Ra. And that Ra goes to the other side. And that's why you go to the bathroom, you have to wash your hands because you're tummy. What do you mean I'm tummy? What did I do that I'm tummy? Right? And the answer is because what, what leaves a person's body, that goes to the other side. That belongs to the Satan. That's what he gets. And therefore, it's dangerous to be in the old, the Gemara says, in times when there was a bathroom by itself, there was shade and mazikim and things living around the bathroom because that's the waste, the psyllus, the, the, the bad part of what we eat that goes to them. That didn't exist before the chait. In the mun, it didn't exist either. The mun, there was no psyllus, there was no other side. It was 100%. So, so they, it was pure. So they, they got it into their heads to make a decision what is better for Klai Yisrael? To go and work and eat regular food where you have to go to the bathroom or live in the midbar with the man and be Kaddish Kedashim? And they made the wrong decision. Why? Why did they make the wrong decision? They made a very holy decision. They wanted to learn Torah more. So Chazal says, you got to study. It's, 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 it's very deep and it's very, very beautiful. And it's so, so scary true. When you have the from Yetzirah, like, I got to tell the teacher about her. Because I got to save the rest of the class. I always say, you know, the road to Gehenna, it says, is paid with good intentions. People have murdered, destroyed kids, ripped them to pieces in the name of Hashem. In the name of Hashem. So, there's an interesting point that we learn here. Chazal says that when this from Yetzirah comes to you and tells you, I, I gotta do this! This is, this is what Hashem wants! You gotta take it a step, one step back and see what's the motive that drove you to have this from Yetzirah. Why are you thinking that I must do this? What's the motive? So Chazal says, what was the motive of the Nesim? The real underlining motive wasn't Kailel, Yeshiva, and Mun. 
the underlining motive was that they knew that once they come into Eretz Yisrael, there's no more Nesim. There's kings. There's no more Nesim. So, once that happens... Right. It was all self-interest. So, a person has to go back. The step before you jump to badmouth another person, to hurt another person in the name of God, you got to go back in yourself and find out really, 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 really what's behind what I'm about to do. Really, really, why am I saying this about this girl when the shotgun called about her? Really, really, is it to save the boy or it's because I went out with him and he dropped me? What's the real reason behind this from religious, godly decision that I'm about to make? And if you go really back, back into it, if the Moroccan would have gone back into it and said to themselves, Bottom line, is this because we want to learn or is this because we want to stay in the sea and we're going to lose our job? They would have realized that's because they wanted to stay in the sea and they would have realized that the whole thing was a facade. It wasn't really true. And this was a mistake that they made. And they talk, it came and they said, they said the truth, but they also said, they made their own translation and they said, it's an unbelievable land and it's great and it's fascinating and it's beautiful. Everybody was listening. But we have a translation here. Not only are we giving you the intelligence, but we're not going to be able to go into Eretz Yisrael. But Klai Yisrael didn't freak out. They didn't get crazy yet. I'll tell you where they got crazy. You go a little bit further and they say the following. We saw the giants. When we met these giants, we felt in our own eyes like we were grasshoppers. And that's what we were in their eyes. Two questions. Number one, if you look into Rashi, Rashi says, how did they know what they looked like in the giants' eyes? If the giants would have seen them, they would have killed them. So, how did these Jews come back and say that in the eyes of the giants, I was a grasshopper? Maybe you were a hippopotamus. Maybe you were a mosquito. Maybe you were a cat, a dog. Where are you coming up with this, this grasshopper? You know, it wasn't the karate kid. Like, what's, what's with the grasshopper kid? So Rashi says the following. We heard the giants saying to each other that there are ants in the grass that sound like human beings. So what is Rashi answering? Rashi is asking a question. How did the Jews know, the spies know what they look like in the giants' eyes? And Rashi's answering, you know how they knew? They heard the giants call them ants. So now you made the question even worse. If Rashi saying that they heard the giants calling them ants, then they should have said, we feel like ants, because that's what we heard. So Rashi is not answering his question. His question is, how did they know they were grasshoppers? Because the giants called them ants. What are you talking about? It doesn't make any sense what Rashi is saying. Second question is they're saying that we were in our eyes like grasshoppers. 
right? We were in our eyes like grasshoppers, therefore we were in the giant's eyes. It should be the other way around. In the giant's eyes, we were grasshoppers, so we felt like grasshoppers. Not, we felt like grasshoppers, therefore they thought we're grasshoppers. So there's some psych majors here, I'm sure. Girls are going for psychology. Forget everything you ever read. Don't forget or you'll fail your test. <laughs> this Pusik is the biggest psychology lesson that exists in the world. The Pusik is saying that these Jews came back and said, I feel like a grasshopper. Automatically, if I feel like a grasshopper, then I feel that you look at me as a grasshopper. Projection. What I feel, I am. That's what I feel. When you look at me, you think, which, after you look at me, guarantees me that I am correct. For instance, if I have a big pimple on my cheek, right? I've got this big acne pimple. I'm working on it for two weeks. No, don't look. I don't have one. <laughs> They're looking like, really? This guy has a big acne pimple on his cheek. And he's working on it, he's doing clearasil, he's, he's popping it, he's squeezing, he's doing whatever he can. And it's just getting worse and worse, right? And now this rabbi who has his pimple has to get up and speak in front of a whole crowd. And he walks into the room and he's about to speak, and look, are you all looking at me? Right? And I'm like, oh my goodness, they're all staring at my pimple. <laughs> when no one in the room is staring at my pimple. But because I am so conscious that I have this pimple on my face, so I am sure, right, that that's what you're looking at. And I'm like, I knew I shouldn't have spoken tonight like this. I knew I should have put on makeup. I knew I should have done something. We, meanwhile, there's nobody in this room that even cares if the guy has a pimple or not. So, self-esteem, this is a pussy on self-esteem. What you think of yourself, that's what you project to others. And by projecting that to others, it comes back at you and confirms. In other words, if I had this pimple on my face and I walked out tonight, I would say, I thought that maybe they're all going to look at my pimple. I was scared of that. When I walk out, I'm like, you see, I was right. They were all looking at my pimple, even though you weren't. So it, it starts in you. You project it to them. And then when they look at you, you're sure that's what they're looking at. And that confirms your feelings of, of what you are and who you are. And that's why people feel judged all the time. And I tell kids, the kids that are off the derech, you rabbis, you judge us. And I'm like, you just judged the rabbis. You said, you rabbis, you judge us. I'm a rabbi, I don't judge you, but you just made a judgment that all rabbis judge you. You're doing exactly what I'm doing. Because the biggest complaint is of the generation that's off the derech is, everybody's judging me. Hello? You just judged everybody. You're, you're no different than anybody else. And the answer is, and the true answer is, that the reason they feel they're being judged is because they're judging themselves. You see in the other person your misgivings, the things that you don't have. You know what the lowest thing in the whole world is? The lowest object, says Rav Shem Shem Pink, is in the whole world, is a mirror. 
Why is the mirror the lowest object? Because you never see the mirror. When you look into the mirror, you always see yourself. The mirror has, the mirror is nothing. Whatever time you look into the mirror, I want to look at the mirror. Let me see the mirror. You see yourself. And then when a person is busy his whole life being a mirror, then there's nothing, the person has nothing. You can't live because of what other people think. Because then you're just a mirror. There's no you. There's no you. There's no self. These miraglim, Rashi, I think Rashi is giving an amazing answer. Listen to what Rashi is saying. Rashi is saying that they heard that they were ants. This is a beautiful, I think Rashi, just the opposite, is the, is the most beautiful Rashi. The, it's, one of the, it's, it's, it's fantastic. You have to turn the whole Rashi around. Rashi is saying like this. Where did they get this idea that they're grasshoppers? They heard the giants say that they're ants. So where, so where did, how did they say to Kleisrow that in the eyes of the, of the giants we're grasshoppers? Says the Pusik, because they thought of themselves as grasshoppers. So once they thought of themselves as grasshoppers, they said, even though we heard them calling us ants, no, we're not ants. We're not ants. We're grasshoppers. Not so much better. But that's what Rashi's saying over here. Rashi's saying they heard themselves being called ants. So how can they come to Kleisrow and say that they think we're grasshoppers? Because they said we felt we were grasshoppers. That's what we projected. That's what Rashi's answering over here. And it's such an important Rashi because, th- girls, this is, what, this is what we project. Who we are. This is what we project to others. And what happened to Kleisrow right after this? Because as long as you have self-esteem... You can do anything. Once these Nisim, Nisiei Klaisrael, got up and said, Nisim, leaders, we're grasshoppers. Klaisrael fell apart. Totally fell apart. Because if the Nisim are grasshoppers, and that's what they're projecting on us, then what are we? We're even smaller than grasshoppers. So if you look in the Pasuk, you will see that Kleisrael, they came back and they said, we're not going to win and they're going to kill us. No reaction. They were cool, they were steady, they were tough. But the minute they said, the next pasuk is, Vatisa Kola the whole nation, they broke down, they panicked, they cried. A whole night, that night was Tishabov, and Hashem said, you cry tonight. You're going to cry in the Holocaust. You're going to cry in the Spanish Inquisition. You're going to cry in the destruction of both Beis Hamikdash. You're going to cry forever till Mashiach comes. You don't have self-esteem, knowing that I, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, can do everything. You feel like grasshoppers when it comes to some human giants or angelic giants. You feel like grasshoppers. This generation has to die in the Midbar. This generation can't go into Israel. You coming back and telling me you feel like grasshoppers after everything I did for you? You don't understand? And that is the whole thing of Amuna. Amuna is being close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And being close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives you the ability chas v'shalom, never to look at yourself as a loser. I can't do it. I'm a nobody. Chas v'shalom. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us tshuva, 
which I'm going to talk about a little bit because I think it's I think it's a very it has a lot to do. What happened here, by the way, in Mitzrayim is in, in the Midbar, they did tshuva. What did they do? They used to dig their, the, the, the 40 years, they dug a grave and every Tisha of night, they would all go into the grave and some of them would get up the next morning and some of them wouldn't. And as a reward for that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that when Mashiach comes, the, all the Dar HaMidbar that died in the Midbar will all come back with Chiesa Mason. And there's a lot in Kabbalah that came back afterwards. Whatever, it's not important. But they, they, they did tshuva. And, and I think that it's a, a very important... Um, subject to talk about tonight a little bit about the, the, the power and the ability of a person doing tshuva. Before we do that, I want to read you I got today a very funny um, Torah facts and it just fits right in with the shir because it's on projection. It's on what you project to others what you feel about yourself you project to others and, and you just get caught in this whole enmeshment of this projection where, oh, oh they, they don't think much of me anyway, and if you don't think much of me anyway, then I can't, I don't have the ability to, you know, to do anything because, but meanwhile, the only reason that person doesn't think much of you is because you don't think much of you. So it all has to start with you. If you think you're a grasshopper, everyone thinks you're a grasshopper. If you think you're great, now what do I mean you think you're great? That's Gaiva, I'm walking around, I'm great. I'm connected to Baruch Hu. The greatness of a human being is that we're connected to Baruch Hu. and that greatness is not Gaiva. He's not guy at all. So anyway, it's just a very, very funny, funny, funny story. And he says the following. He says, a man came to the doctor and complained that his wife was hard of hearing. That means that the guy came to the doctor and said, my wife can't hear. She's hard of hearing. So the doctor said, how do you know that she can't hear? He said, I talked to her so many times during the day, but she doesn't answer. She for sure doesn't hear. I talked to her, she doesn't answer me. The doctor thought for a while and he said, I'll tell you what. Let's do a test. First, ask her something from across the room. If she doesn't reply, get a little bit closer. Ask her again. Get a little closer. Ask her again. A few feet each time. And then you'll get, you'll understand at what point she can hear you. You'll know how bad her hearing is. Okay, the next day, the man asks his wife from across the room, what's for supper tonight? No answer. He walks, this is a very ridiculous story. He walks a few feet closer. He says, my dear, what's for supper? No answer. He goes another few feet forward and asks the same question. What's for supper? No reply. Finally, he gets within a foot of her, one foot away, and he screams, What's for supper? She screams back at him. What's with your hearing? For the seventh time, I told you, chicken and potatoes. (laughs) Too many times we see fault in other people and judge them negatively when the false may in fact be with us. It's a Nairidika story. It's a Nairidika story. We have to look into ourselves. We have to look into ourselves first. Because again, the faults that we see in others are only our faults. And, and I think very much um, the kayak and the strength to, to help people in this world, right? is when you're not so tough on yourself. You're not supposed to be so tough on yourself. And Walsh, what are you talking about? His spite of this, and you have to work on yourself. His spite of this means, how can I get better? But his spite of this doesn't mean whipping yourself and beating yourself for all the bad stuff that you did in the past. That is not Jewish. That is Goyish. Living in the past, and I'm going to get over the head from what I'm about to say, but it's not the first time I got it over the head. Definitely going to get it over the head for this. Living in the past is not a Jewish thing. 
Learning from the past is a Jewish thing. We live in the future. None of you ever went to a bar, I'm sure. You should never know from it. But if you were to go, not you, but somebody went to a bar, and you sat, now, now a bar by Goyen is huge, it's very big. It's a big thing. I, I, in the summer, I'm in Woodridge, up in the mountains, right? Woodridge has maybe 10 Goyen, maybe 15 Goyen, right? When you come into Woodridge, I don't want to really give you guys any information, but when you get off the highway, you come into Woodridge, there's a bar, bar and grill, whatever, a bar there. You come, any night I drive in, there's a hundred pickup trucks parked in the driveway. Where will all these people come from? We, it's not normal Jewish people. It's not, it's not something we saw by our parents that on a Sunday night or a Monday night, the husband goes out and he's like, I'm going with my friends to the bar. And these guys would go to the bar. They, they start at eight o'clock, right? He's going and, and they come home at four o'clock in the morning. They sit by the bar a whole night. They have a pool table and they watch sports and they sit there. What do you do from eight o'clock to four o'clock? So at Wallstein one day, right, was sent on an intelligence like the Moraglim. Go into the bar and see what do they do in the bar and why Jews, it's not our thing. It's not our thing. We, we don't hang out in bars. Right? I didn't say that Jews don't drink, but we don't hang out in bars. Right? You're not going to see a bunch of pickup, you know, well, not, not pickup trucks. You know, a bunch of four by four with a bunch of hundreds of thousands of different lights on it, you know, parked at a, at a whatever. Okay. Anyway, so, so I went into the bar and I sat down with my Yankee cat. And I was like, let's check out what goes on in a bar and how come Jewish people don't do this. So the one word I never heard the whole night between all of them was the word future. Nobody in that bar was talking about the future. Everybody was talking about the past. Hey, you remember when? Remember when? 40 years ago? Remember Kennedy? Remember him? Remember, remember when we were in Vietnam? Remember the Beatles? Remember Elvis? That's all I talk about. The past. Remember the girls in the prom? Hey man, you married 40 years. What are you remembering girls in the prom for, right? <laughs> all they're talking about, you know, they call it, they call it nursing the drink, right? They're sitting there nursing their drink. All they're talking about, the way it was. This is the song, the way it was, right? The way it was. It's all I talk about. Nothing future. Nothing future. Everything the past. They live in the past. What was, when I was younger, I could hit the ball out of the park. Now he can't walk. I could hit the ball. When I was, when I was rich, when times were good, when music was music, you know, when life was life. Meshuggah, Behemoth, you're sitting there from 8 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning. Get out to the real world. What are you doing? Jewish people sitting around. No. When's Mashiach coming already? What's going to be? How come he's not here? We want Mashiach now. What's Eretz Yisrael going to look like in four years from now? When are we moving to Israel? You ever hear, my grandmother was, was my grandfather, Shalom, who's, who's, these were Holocaust survivors. You ever hear them sit down with all their friends and get together and say, hey, you remember Auschwitz? Remember the way it was? We have to pry it out of them. We have to pull. Spielberg had to come to people's houses and beg them because if you don't tell us what happened, then it's going to get lost. Everyone's going to be in denial. They don't talk about it. They don't live in the past. They don't live in the past. If, they were, if the Holocaust survivors would have lived in the past, 90% of the people in this room would not be here. 
They would have never gotten married and had children. They watched their wife and eight kids get killed and then come to America and remarry and have children. You can't live in the past. You can't live in Auschwitz and do that. You got to say, I'm not in Auschwitz. I'm out of the Holocaust. What's going to be in the future? Where are my children going to learn? Are they going to be religious? Are they going to keep Shabbos? What's going to be with my grandchildren? What's going to be with my great-grandchildren? We don't sit in bars because we don't look backwards. We don't live backwards. We're always talking about Mashiach. What's going to be? What's going to be with our children? Vita. We don't sit around like, you remember elementary school in third grade? Let's talk about this for four days. How's my grandson doing? What's he doing? What's the plans? Who's she dating? What's going to be her shidduch? You have a good shidduch, but what's going on? Always forward. But we learn from the past. You have to learn from the past. We learn from Abraham Avinu and Akedas Yitzchak and all Akedayalim. But we don't live back there. The Torah doesn't tell us to live back there one night a year. Make believe you're in Mitzrayim. Because to be in that story, you have to be like you were in Mitzrayim one night a year. Zehu. Live in the past one night a year. That's it. The rest of the year is the future. Rosh Hashanah is the year to come. Is the year to come. They, uh huh, well, look at their Rosh Hashanah. They get drunk so they can talk again. You know what it was? We talk about what's the year going to be. Rosh Hashanah, Yika Sevun. It's written what's going to happen. We don't live in the past. We live in the future. That's the difference between a guy and a Jew. Because if we lived in the past, we couldn't, we couldn't make it. We were, what are we going to live in? The Spanish Inquisition? In the Crusades? We were gonna, in the Holocaust? We learn from the past. And therefore, girls, it's very important that when a person made mistakes in their life when they were younger, Hashem doesn't want you to live in it. You live in it, you're going to be depressed. That's the Yitzhahara, that's the Satan. Learn from it. Learn from it. Make sure you don't do it again. Don't live there walking around, well, I'm a sinner and I did these Averis, so I'm finished, so I'm done, so I can't go anywhere, and I can't move forward. And I apologize to anyone who doesn't agree with me, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of emails. There's a thing called AA. Alcoholics Anonymous. GA, Gamblers Anonymous. NA, Narcotics Anonymous. OA, Overeating Anonymous. Whatever. <laughs> CA, CA, Chocolates Anonymous. KSA, Kidney Stones Anonymous. Okay. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to make fun of, I don't want to make fun, cause it's not, it's not funny. It's not a joke. So, many, many times I deal with, you know, Rabbi, you gotta go to AA. You gotta check it out. You gotta, you gotta learn the 12 steps. You gotta read the book. You gotta read the Bible. You gotta understand. You're dealing with us. You gotta understand what it's all about. You gotta understand. So, so, yeah, I don't talk about something until I understand. So, yeah, it's very important. It's important when someone's drinking and they can't get out of it. They need to go somewhere where they, where they have, a, where there's people and they, and they stand up and, and it's good for them. But you know what? If you're in AA for 40 years, you're a failure. Because it became a way of life. It's not a way of life. It's not a way of life to walk around. My name is Zachariah Wallerstein. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> I was an alcoholic. I made a lot of mistakes and I'm going to change. But I'm not an alcoholic. I'm Zachary Wallstein. I'm a human being that had a problem. But I'm not a problem. I am not a problem. I am a person with a problem. 
Stop with I am a problem. I am a person that might have a drug addiction, but I'm not a drug. I'm a human being. And what happens is it becomes a way of life and it becomes a style and you're sitting in a bar, but it's not a bar. You're sitting in a bar, it's not a bar. And all you're talking about, what was, what was, what was, what was. And what happens when you talk about what was, what was, what was, it'll happen again. And 80% of addicts trip back. Because you're so busy talking about it all the time. When you're on a diet, and I've been on them, it's the hardest time not to eat. Why? Because you're talking about food the whole time. I'm not going to have this, I'm not going to have this, I'm not going to have this, I'm not going to have this. I have to measure this. So you're hungry. So you're hungry. That's all you're talking about. When you're not on a diet, you're not so hungry. You're not. You're really not. I'm starving all day because I can't have this and I can't have that and I can't have this. So if I can't have chocolate, I have to eat a fruit, but I can eat half a fruit. So the, so the whole day you think, so you're eating. At the end of the day, you ate a whole day. <laughs> because you're living and you're dying. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden you realize, all you're talking to people about, you became, you became a, a, a piece of diet. So you're not a person anymore. You're not a person on a diet. You're a diet that happens to be in the shape of a person. <laughs> we don't live in this. So yes, it's AA important and all these things are important. It's an important beginning, but don't live it. It's important and you need to have it. But if you live in it and you become part of it, and that's not us. And that's why Hashem made tshuva. Otherwise, we would have a different AA. It would be called Averis Anonymous. And, and all the time, you would get up and you'd walk around. Okay, girls, this is AA right here. Averis Anonymous, all of you. And Rabbi Wallstein is now going to get up because I'm the first one. I am 30 minutes clean of Averis. Okay. I am Zechariah Wallstein. Abal Avera! Yay! <laughs> no. No. I am Zechariah Wallstein. I did an Avera. I'm working on doing Tshuva. I'm going to stop doing this Avera. And I'm working on it very hard. And I have a sponsor. Because in AA you need a sponsor. Because when you're breaking down you need someone to call. I have a sponsor. He's called my Rebbe. And, and when, when, when I'm in trouble and I, and I have a taiva and I'm suffering and I'm struggling, hello Rabbi Gamliel, help me out. I'm, I'm about to do an Avera, help me out. You're my sponsor. It's all in the Torah. But you can't live in it. You can't live in an Avera. Hashem doesn't want you to live in an Avera. The Rambam Paskins, the Rambam Paskins, that if a person does a real tshuva, you have to change your name. Zechariah Wallerstein did this Avera. Now I did this Chuba, it's no longer Zechariah Wallerstein. It's not Zechariah Wallerstein that cleaned up the stain on his soul. It's a new Zechariah Wallerstein, says the Rambam. And that's why the Zaya, the Ariyah Kaddish says that a person who does Chuba is a burial Chadasha. You're, you're a new creation. You're not walking around. No. No, once you do your Chuba, don't live in that Avera. Go ahead. Go to the future. Step forward. That's what Hashem wants from a Jew. And any other time you think that Hashem wants to be depressed and sitting there and feel bad about yourself, Ain, Adam, Oise, Atzmo, Russia. The Gemara says a person is not allowed to make themselves a Russia. You don't want to make yourself a Russia. 
It's not what Hashem wants. You're walking down with your head down. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. No. You're this and this person who did a sin, who did tshuva. And, and you're forgiven. And Hashem loves you. And you're forgiven. And go on with your life. Don't live there. Don't sit, you know, there's a hole in the road. Imagine, there's a hole in the road and you see this big hole and you're like, oh boy, I got to get around it. So you figure out a way to get around it. But could you imagine if your whole life you're sitting by that hole? I think I should get up and go this way, maybe that way, maybe this way. Maybe, and then when you, when you finally get past the hole, you're like, maybe I went the wrong way. Maybe I did the wrong thing. And you start, get past it and keep going. Don't dwell around the hole for the rest of your life. You're not a sheep at a well. You're a human being. Get out of here. Get out of here. Move on. Move on. And people just get stuck in their mistakes. And they live in that hole. They live in that mistake their whole life. It's not Jewish. It's not what Hashem wants. The Holocaust generation did not live in the Holocaust. The minute they got out, they went vital. They didn't go to therapy. They didn't take Prozac. They didn't take Wellbutrin. They didn't get psychologist. My grandfather never took a pill in his life. He never went to therapy. What? What? Why? Why not? They went through, I don't care what this generation, the abuse and everything that we go through. And it's very hard. I'm not telling you why. But why didn't these people mentally break down? I mean, what they saw... No one, not one of us, including me, could handle for one minute. And they came here, went to work, never got up and said, there's no God, took a cigarette out on shop and said, prove it. Went to work, went to learn. I, I grew up with these people. They sat there, Mincha and Mayrib, Mishnayis, between Mincha and Mayrib, they sat there for Mishnayis, they came for Shachris. I'm not going to tell you they were jumping with happiness. They continued their life. They had children. They have grandchildren. They have great-grandchildren. I stood this Sunday. There was a Sefer Torah given to the shul where I dove and Rabbi Fisher. And there was a man next to me who was crying like a baby. Crying at Sefer Torah. An old man. The guy that died in the shul, he was crying. I said, why are you crying? He said, another Sefer Torah! Hitler lost! We won! He lost! Another Sefer Torah. You know how many of them he burnt? You know how many Sefer Torahs I saw burn, he told me? Ah, a new baby. A new baby. We have a new baby in the Arnak Kodesh. A Sefer Torah. I was like, oh my God, look at me. I'm like, yeah, I got my grandchildren there. We're going to wash, you know, Sefer Torah. Yay. Look at this man. This man has every reason to hate God. He watched everyone die. He watched Sefer Torahs burn. He's sitting there. A new baby! Therapy? Pills? Sleeping till 4 o'clock in the afternoon? No. No, just the opposite. Get past the hole in the, in the floor and live life. That's what Hashem wants. It's a horror telling you, oh, you're so bad. Oh, you do so many Avedis. You don't deserve, oh, I love that. I get that all the time. You don't deserve such a boy. I don't deserve it, Rabbi. I can't go through with this. I don't deserve it. Why not? Because I was so bad. I was so bad. I'm like, so you're telling me that Hashem doesn't know what you deserve. You're telling me you don't deserve it. Hashem made the shidduch. You don't deserve it. So Hashem doesn't know what he's doing. He gave it to the wrong girl. He made a mistake. So he doesn't make mistakes. 
don't make yourself into a Russia. That's Hashem's decision, what you are, what you're not. You'll deal with Him later, but you have to feel good about yourself. You have to feel like you have to take the next step. So yeah, AA is good and it's very good, but if, you, if you're 40 years in the thing, there's something wrong because you just didn't step out. You, you, got, you, got to be able, you, got, you got to be able to step out. And that's what Emunah is. What real Emunah is, real Emunah is in Hashem, I believe Hashem forgives me. And I believe in the next step is going to be the right step and the big step. Emunah is going forward. I believe in Hashem. And I believe in Hashem that in one second, life can change at any time. And if you live in your past, then you are stuck in the mud. And you're not going to go anywhere. You know why? Because if that's how you feel about yourself, that's what you're going to project to others. You're not going to be Matzliach with your kids. You're not going to be Matzliach with your husband. You're not going to be Matzliach Hasishalm and Parnassar. Because if you're projecting depression, and you're, and you're projecting, uh, I'm nobody and I'm nothing and I can't move forward, then everyone around you is going to feel like, I can't move forward. I can't move forward. And therefore, we all need to move forward and we all need to understand that. And that, that is true Emunah. And to end, last week's parasha was the mistake that they made. Exactly what I'm telling you. In last week's parasha, it says Hashem got very, very, very angry at Kleistral. Do you know why? Because they said, we remember, they had a goyish, a little, they had a little bar scene. They said, if you look in the Pasuk, you remember? Look at the puzzle. You'll see it word for word. I can't find it on the second hand. I know it's very late. But exactly what they say. You remember the way it was in Mitzrayim? You remember we used to have pickles? They were bad. And Hashem listened to what the Jews were talking about in the bar. Let me hear what they're talking about. What are they talking about? What did they say? They said, listen. Remember the way it used to be? We used to have fish. Rashi says, what fish? Where fish? You remember what we used to eat in Mitzrayim? For free? We had pickles. We had watermelon. We had onions. We had garlic. That's what the Goyim do. Remember the old days? Shem said, that's what you're doing? I have you in, in the midbar. You're eating mun. You have Be'er, Miriam. I gave you the Torah. And instead of looking forward, Eretz Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael, you're busy looking at, at the bar, what it used to be. And I miss the old days. That's how they talk in the bar. Miss those old days, man. And, and, and you know what? I'll tell you a secret. That's why they drink. Because if you live in the past, you have to drink. There's no future. There's no reason to live. So you got to drink until you're numb. Until you feel nothing. A lot of our children that are doing drugs and drinking, that's why. Because they don't see any future. They're not looking forward. I'm only 14. I can't get married till I'm 20. I can't get a job. I can't make money. There's nothing ahead of me. Okay, let me deaden the pain. What do you mean there's nothing ahead of you? There's life ahead of you. There's so much you could do. You could help people. You could do so much. 
you're so busy living in your past and living in your mistakes that you can't go forward. So, Kajbach, the first, one of the only times it says, Hashem was so angry at them. But listen to this word and we're just going to end here. And it says, after they said, I remember the watermelon and the pickles and Mitzrayim, where we used to work and get food for free, which wasn't true because they didn't get it for free. And it, when you start going back into your past and you start fetching, you start making up things. You start remembering things that didn't even happen. They got food for free. They got their backs whipped until it was raw. What do you mean? What do you mean you got food for free, Rashi says? You didn't get anything for free. You didn't even get the straw for free to make the bricks. What free? Once you're fetching, once you're complaining, stuff that isn't even true comes out. Oh, all kinds of stuff. You have all kinds of complaints that never happen. But what does the next plastic say? And mention the next year, which I hope will be next Wednesday night. And now our souls are dry. What does that mean? Sounds like they didn't drink enough. What does that mean? Whoever, when you learned this passage, how did you translate that? What is a dry soul? What is a dry soul? The passage makes a big statement. And now that we remember all this, and we're complaining, my soul is dry. What's main, what does that mean, my soul is dry? So, one boy answered last night, brilliant. He said, Torah is Mayan. So if you don't believe that Hashem is doing the right thing for you, you don't have Torah, so you're Yavesha, you're dry. But that's not the answer that I thought. Maybe that's a good answer. It's a pretty, pretty smart, pretty smart guy. If there's any girls that are looking for a smart guy, I'll give you his name after the share. So he's a pretty smart guy. Right? But that's a very good answer. But the answer, and this is the answer, Mitzvah Hashem, I hope to speak about next Wednesday night. Um, which I told you I'm going to speak about a hundred times, but now I think I'm ready to finally speak about the story from Rav Nachman called The Lost Princess, which is an amazing story which has so many hidden secrets. And, and just very fast, The Lost Princess is the princess that, 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 that in Kabbalah we learn that what Rav Nachman was saying is The Lost Princess is a Muna. It's belief in Hashem. And, and, the, and the, the king, of course, is Hashem. And the, the soldier that goes out to find the lost princess, that's the neshama. And the horse is the goof in the story. And the money is the parnasa, whatever it is. But the bottom line is that Rav Nachman says that a neshama lives and dies on emuna. A neshama without emuna, without belief, is yavesh. Is dry. I'm going to take a step out on something I said two weeks ago. Maybe the only way to really believe in Hashem is to first really believe in yourself. You really have to believe in yourself. Because you don't even know what belief is until you believe in yourself. How do you believe in Hashem? You have to believe in your potential. You have to believe in who you are. You have to believe in what you can do. You can believe in Hashem. But you have to first believe in yourself. If you're depressed and you're upset and you have low self-esteem, then you probably have low self-esteem regarding God too. It's like, God, you can't do this. You know, why didn't you do this? If you feel good about yourself, you feel good about Hashem because you're part of Hashem. If you have a mood, I'm not talking about being a big shot. I'm not talking about walking around, I can do anything. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about understanding that whatever I did wrong, I can be forgiven, I can grow, I can get close to Hashem. I can help things in this world grow. I can help people. That emuna, you can also have that emuna in Akash Baruch Hu. And 
you'll, be, you'll begin to trust people. People who don't trust people don't trust themselves. It's very sad. If I don't trust you, it's because I don't really trust myself. Now, I might get fooled if I trust myself because I trust myself, so then I might trust you and you're really talking going to fool me. But if I don't trust myself, I can't trust you. If I'm not happy with where I am, I want to grow, then I'm not happy about you either. And that's why the good rabbeim and the good teachers and the good people in this world are people who don't judge other people. Don't judge other people until you're in the place and you can never be in that place. So if you don't want to judge other people, stop judging yourself. Yes, sit down and make a cheshman on how to grow. But don't walk around, I'm a Russia, I'm a low life, I can never do this, I have no problem. No, 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 no. There'll be no Balchubas in the world. I know it's very, very late. The Avas Chaim. Because I have to tell you, because there's some girls, I don't know if they're here, but I, I get this a lot, and, and, I've, and I answer them all the time the same thing, but I never really found it written. It was like sort of something that I heard. Baruch Hashem, this week when I was preparing the shir, I found it written. And that, a lot of Balchubas asked me, that right, like, like, like someone, there's a guy, I gave a shir last year on not looking at girls in the summer. You know, when you go to Manhattan, they don't, they hardly get dressed, and you have to watch Shmir Sinayim. It was my Shmir Sinayim share. Oh, did I let them have it last year in my, in my boy share. Because Shmir Sinayim is more a boy share than a girl share. I let them have it. So this one guy, right, you know, sometimes guys take it seriously. So this one guy, right, decided that when he goes on the train in the summer, when he goes on the train, he's taking a safer. He's going to look in the safer the whole time, even if he bumps into walls. And when he gets to, he worked on 47th Street. Right? It's a true story. He worked on 47th Street in the jewelry district where people you know, don't get dressed very much in the summer. So when he got off the train until he got to work, right, he would mamish walk past the stores and look in all the stores' windows at all the rings so that he didn't see the girls that were walking on the street. And then he would slide into 247th Street, whatever that building was, slide into the elevator, go upstairs. He said, Baruch Hashem, Rebbe, in my, in, 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 in my office, he only hired girls that were from Williamsburg. So there were mamish dress, sneer stick, sneer button clothes, like totally sneer stick. He said, in my office, I could finally open my eyes because I mamish was like, till I got to my office, I left my office. I looked at, even though he said it looked a little weird because all the stores were closed, there was nothing in the windows. You have this guy looking in the windows, a little mishiga, right? He said, I got back on the train. And at night, it wasn't usually as bad. Whatever. Then I went home. He says, I was mamish working at Shemir Sinai. He says, Rebbe, I don't understand. I'm working on this. It's, 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 it's like three weeks into July. And all of a sudden, my boss hires this girl, receptionist, a model, a shiksa, a guy, hardly dressed, right? She comes walking in. He decided that they're having a showroom and they need for the showroom. He says, I don't understand Hashem. I'm killing myself. I'm walking into walls. I'm learning on the train. Baruch Hashem, I got a job with just Williamsburg girls, right? What is Hashem doing? Why is he taking this girl who's hardly dressed, and putting her mamish, and she's my assistant. She's my assistant. What? I, he says, it's not fair. I, this is crazy. This religion is not normal. I kill myself. right? And, and I'm sure there's a lot of people in this room right now that know exactly what I'm talking about. You took such large steps, and all of a sudden, some guy, you haven't talked to a boy in four years, some guy you met in high school, all of a sudden, he's texting you. And he's calling you, I'm like, Hashem, I haven't talked to a boy in four years. What are you doing? What are you sending this guy texting me for? Happens all the time. 
It's a good question, right? A person should know that after you finally straightened yourself out, Yitzhahara comes after you even more. And he doesn't leave you alone. Until he puts you through very hard tests. Listen to this, it's amazing. Finally, the Balachuva, this girl who worked so hard, says, from the day I decided to change and be a good girl, everything got a lot worse. What's going on over here? See, this is Zavas Chaim. People who tell me they were open on Shabbos and they were making millions and they closed on Shabbos and the rabbi, maybe he should have said, he shouldn't have said, if you close on Shabbos, Sunday, Sunday, you're going to do triple what you did on Saturday. Which you shouldn't tell that to somebody. What happens? Never the, the guy, not never the guy closed on Shabbos. His business goes down and down and down, and all of a sudden he's bankrupt. He's like, I was doing so well when I was Machal Shabbos. Now I'm keeping Shabbos, and you make me bankrupt, Hashem, right? She says, all of a sudden you're doing tshuva, and you have the biggest yisurim pains and tsarais. He says, we find this in Dar Hamidbar, and this is the way. This is this is the way it goes. Why? Why? Because when you're doing the wrong thing, the Yitzhahara is feeding you. Shabbos, you open, send them customers, send them customers, send them customers. And he's going to make sure you're happy. And, and, and you know, there are girls who come back and they say, I don't understand. I, I come back, I, I went to seminary. My friend just hung out with guys and went to clubs. And I went Shana Shneed. I went to second year. And now I come back. And I'm single, and I got to deal with all these shachonim, and, and met you, and met you at the mountain, and I met you at Jamsuf, and I met you in Mitzrayim, whatever it is, whatever it's called, right? I met you at Sinai, and I met you at the other mountain. Maybe I met you at Har Moriah. I don't know exactly which mountain I met you. And I got to go online. I got these mishugon. The guy tells me he's 20, he's 60. The guy tells me he's he 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 he, he checked off Orthodox, but he was an Orthodox Greek. Christian, he didn't tell me that he was Jewish, and he checked off this, and I'm going out with every weirdo in the world, and my friend who went to clubs, she's married and she's expecting. What's going on? What's going on? She's married, she's expecting. I went two years to seminary, did everything right, and I got to deal with all these mishugam. What's going on? And the answer is that when a person's doing Averis, so the Yitzhahara makes sure that they're happy. Because if that girl that was going to the clubs was not happy, she was having a miserable life, what's going to happen? She's going to say, oh my goodness, I have to change my life. God's punishing me. Ivey, I'm going to do tshuva. So Yitzhak goes, I don't want to do tshuva. So you need a guy, you got a guy. You want to get pregnant, you're pregnant. You need a good panasa, you got a good panasa. Whatever you need, you're going to get. Because I want to keep you happy. On the other side, on the side of Kedusha, you have to work. You have to work. And there's Nisyonis, and there's tests, and there's Einesh, and there's consequence, and there's mitzvahs, and there's Averis. And it's not just to keep you happy. It's to keep you growing. The other person's not growing. You're growing. person grows. You know, physically, there's such a thing called growing pains. Kid grows, he gets growing pains. It's just growing pains, girls. All the Nisyonis and all the pains that we have in this world is just so that we can grow and that we can look into the future because that's the Jewish thing. Right? We want Moshiach. We don't look back. You know what? Did you ever hear anyone say, we want the second base Hamigdash back? Did you ever hear anyone say, we want the first base Hamigdash back? We want to be in Kriyas Yamsuf. Anyone, you meet anyone that says, I wish we would go, go, go back to Kriyas Yamsuf. I wish, no one even says, I wish we could go back to Matan Torah. 
We had Matan Torah. We had Kriyas Yamsuf. We had that all in our life. We want to go forward. We want Mashiach. We want the third base on Mikdash. We don't want to go back. Hashem should hear all our tefillahs that we want to go to the future and we want to go forward and we talk, should go forward and we'll see the Binyan base. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.